Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone. It is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Viator, Executive Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by another colleague of mine, Emily Fisher, the general counsel of the Edison Electric Institute. And we're going to dive into a discussion really about one of Emily's favorite topics, which is carbon emissions. And it's not her favorite because she likes carbon emissions. It's her favorite because she's interested in reducing them as much as possible. And there's kind of a COVID hook here. So Emily, I'm going to turn to you on this. During this whole COVID-19 crisis with everybody staying at home, what are we seeing in terms of electricity demand and carbon emissions? Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. And, and thanks very much for clearing up that I like emissions reductions and not just emissions. You know, it's interesting with most people staying home, especially so many office workers being home all day working we're seeing actually a little bit of an uptick in residential customer demand for electricity. I've heard one of our member companies describe every day as like a really heavy weekend day. And that makes sense. You know, everyone gets that when things are a little bit more normal, folks go to work and that means residential demand is down. You know, we see the spike in the morning when people get up and then we see it fall off and then it increase again when folks come home at night and make dinner and do all the things that we have to get done at night. So residential demand is up a little bit, but that is really being balanced by, in some instances, some fairly significant demands in commercial and industrial demand. Obviously, with a lot of businesses being shuttered, particularly in the March, April, May timeframe, the demand for electricity to power you know, businesses and manufacturing just wasn't there. There wasn't a demand for that product. So as a general matter, electricity emissions are probably down. But what we're really seeing, and this is really interesting to me at least, is that transportation emissions are really down. So as folks are commuting a lot less, uh, you're seeing pretty significant fall-offs in both carbon emissions and other more traditional pollutant emissions from cars. And, and that's why you were seeing maybe in the beginning of the remote work situation when a lot of states had stay-at-home orders, some stuff passing around on social media about like, look at the blue sky over Los Angeles. That wasn't because electricity emissions were down. It was because nobody was driving. And that's actually a much larger source of emissions in places like California than electricity emissions. So in general, electricity emissions are down and transportation emissions are down. All right. Well, so, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the electric sector about carbon reduction and sort of kind of setting pretty aggressive goals. I think consensus number is a 50% reduction by 2030. So some of the things you're talking about, I mean, is it time for us to pull out the aircraft carrier, drop a mission accomplished banner and move on to the next thing? Maybe not exactly just yet. Our member companies have actually done a ton of work, particularly in the last, I would say, five to eight years to reduce emissions. So at some point, people were looking at whether or not the, the power sector could achieve, let's say, 30 or 32% reductions in emissions and that's almost usually calculated off of a 2005 baseline. There's no magic there, but that's just sort of a universally agreed upon baseline based on some legislative efforts and some regulatory efforts we saw a couple of years ago. But there was really a push to see if we could get to 30%. And 
at the end of 2019, the electric power industry as a whole was 33% below 2005 emissions. So that means about a decade in advance. And you're right, a lot of our members have voluntary commitments that look like 50% reductions by 2030 and 80%, if not greater, reductions by 2050. But being ahead of the game right now doesn't mean that we've solved the problem. In fact, a lot of the conversation with our member companies is that we see a way to continue to reduce emissions, particularly in the next decade. And that's going to be, you know, continued substitution of gas for coal and continued deployment of a lot more renewable generation. But we don't necessarily know that we have a direct path to get all the way to 100, which is the goal of a lot of companies and a lot of our customers. And so we need to continue to make investments, not just in these nearer term reductions, but in the new technologies we're going to need to get us all the way to zero. So I think we're well on our way and we've made tremendous progress, but I I wouldn't say mission accomplished. I think we're really focused on the next 10, 20 years to make sure that we're set up to achieve those larger goals. Well, I guess with the current situation we're dealing with and the economic impact we've seen, although jobless claims and just the whole cost and toll of this COVID crisis, investment in new technology, renewable investment is expensive. How do you think we balance that amid all these other pressures that are out there while electric companies try to keep rates affordable for customers? I think that's a really interesting question. I have what I think is a hopeful answer. You know, Right now, as you guys have seen, Brad, you and your team who do a lot of engagement on the external affairs side and and with customers, our companies are doing a lot to help customers get through these tough times and come up with payment plans, figure out how to keep businesses up and running. And we really are the glue sometimes that keeps those smaller businesses going because we can help them navigate some of the challenges that the economic recession has brought and also some of the programs that are being made available to them. But I don't think that continued investments in a cleaner energy future are going to undermine our efforts to keep our customers going in the near term. In fact, those investments are going to continue to be important. They might be expensive, but as you know, like we never recover all those investments in one year. We spread them out pretty significantly over the lives of the assets. So those investments are going to be recovered through electricity rates if they're approved by our regulators over you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So it's not like we're looking at big chunks of money that need to come from customers in one year or two. So we're already set up to spread out those costs over longer periods of time. But two, I really see continued investment in renewable energy and just in a cleaner energy future all of the infrastructure that goes along with that is, is really driving the economy coming out of the COVID crisis, right? Like those are going to be jobs for a lot of folks. So we can do both at the same time. We can build economic recovery and continue to make progress toward our goals at the same time. I wonder, do you agree with that? How do you feel about that? I, I see that as a totally possible outcome. You know, we might have to think really carefully about how we stage those investments, but I don't think pulling back on those investments would actually help us at all. I think they could be actually more detrimental to customers. Yeah. I mean, look, I think as a practical matter, we've got a lot of resources that are at the end of their useful life and they've got to be replaced with something. And fortunately, because of all this investment, the cost of renewable generation in particular has come down. So to me, it just 
makes sense that if you're going to replace aged resources, you would replace them with resources that have low carbon impact and are really cost effective. And I don't think this changes any of that. I think that the companies and everybody really is just going to have to pay a lot of attention to how they spread those costs out. And we don't need to see a glut of these costs all at once. Like it just, it needs to be spaced out, I think. Yeah. No, you make a really terrific point. Our investments are often, if you look at them aggregate across the industry and in the you know hundreds of millions on an annual basis, but the electricity cost to customers has actually really stayed constant for decades if you control for uh, inflation. And renewable energy in a lot of parts of the country is, is really competitive or cheaper than other sources. There are other limitations on our use of renewable energy and the standard concerns people have about intermittency and the sun not shining all the time and the wind not blowing all the time. And we're working on storage, but those resources can really help keep costs to customers low long-term. I think you're right. So I want to pull a thread on another issue you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the situation that we're dealing with right now, which is frankly cleaner air than we've had in a very, very long time. And one of the causes you mentioned was the fact that people weren't commuting. So we're getting to enjoy some of those clean air benefits as a result of the reduced mobile emissions. What's the opportunity like there on electric transportation or lower emitting vehicles as we look forward? Well, I think you hit on a a really key topic with respect to air quality. Sometimes people get really focused on carbon emissions and certainly long-term concerns about climate change should remain at the fore of conversations about what we're doing to transition the energy system to cleaner energy. But there are so many near-term benefits in terms of air quality and sometimes they get forgotten. And it's really interesting. We're on the third year in a row now. So it's 16, 17, 18, and now 19. So I guess we're going into the fourth year where emissions from the electricity sector were below those of the transportation sector. So we used to be the largest source of both carbon emissions and a lot of other air pollution, like particulate matter and SO2 and uh, nitrous oxides. We used to be the largest sources of all of those emissions and we're not anymore and transportation is. And there's this tremendous opportunity to start electrifying parts of the transportation sector. So as we get cleaner, we can bring them along with us. You know, there just really aren't a ton of options to make cars cleaner. We can make them more efficient, but that's not a focus of this administration. So electrification is really a tremendous pathway to continuing to deal with localized air pollution issues. The stuff that comes out of the tailpipes of regular cars with internal combustion engines is not great. It doesn't travel very far. It stays in the communities in in which we all live and work. And we've seen as a result of COVID that folks who have compromised lung capacity, which is directly correlated with air pollution in many cases, are really the hardest hit. So we have some tremendous opportunities not only to reduce emissions, but to make some pretty significant public health gains while we're at it. Emily, I sense some optimism in your voice as you talk about the electric sector's emission reductions, you talk about the future and potential of electric vehicles, and you talk about attacking this climate change problem. But the sort of goals that were set in Paris are really quite aggressive. Do you really believe these goals are achievable? Is this something that both the electric sector and the world as a whole can really achieve? You know, the goals that were set internationally are aggressive. But when you look at what the power sector just in the United States has been able to do by taking advantage of available technologies, 
we've reduced emissions just in this sector in the United States more than some countries. Right. So if we can do that, I think it's possible. And I've been working with our members for about 12 years. It's 12 years this month. So I'm starting to feel old. And if I could go back in time and and tell my 2008 self that so many investor owned electric companies in the U.S. would have these commitments to get to 80% below their 2005 emissions rates or even to get to net zero by 2050. I'm not so sure she would have believed me, right? Our generation mix from 10, 12, 15 years ago is just so vastly different. And it, it really speaks to what can be done with some commitments. But you know, I, I had an old boss that said the real secret to successful public policy and really moving issues and making progress on things that matter to people is getting the technology, the policy, and the economics right. And that is really where we are right now. We have the opportunity to take technologies that have become affordable, so that's the technology and the economics, and deploy them in service of not only better customer relationships and getting customers what they want, but also reducing emissions. And so that's kind of been our focus is, you know, what policies allow us to do that? But when you see that perfect storm, and I mean perfect storm in a positive way, of technology policy and economics, you can really get a lot done. We've made these huge amount of reductions in this industry actually without any significant federal policy drivers, but with some pretty clear direction from states. So I see a lot of potential for us to be on the path to continue reductions and then using electricity to help decarbonize other sectors. Like I already mentioned transportation. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for us to work with our commercial industrial customers to electrify what they can. You know, there are just some manufacturing processes that aren't going to be amenable to electricity, but there are a lot of ways we can help our customers save money and save emissions by electrifying these processes. So I am pretty hopeful that there's a lot of opportunity here and that it's in everyone's best interest. You know, it's really hard to, to roll a ball uphill, but I don't think we're doing that anymore. All right. One last question then, and I'm going to ask you to speculate, and I know lawyers don't like to do that, but here goes. What do you think are some of the potential outcomes and adjustments that we're seeing as a result of COVID that might lead to longstanding change in the environmental space and sector as it relates to emissions? You know, I I see actually more changes in behavior, which is such an interesting thing because I think a lot of people have focused on behavioral change as a way to really address emissions. And I think prior to COVID, I found that actually a really unattractive option because I don't think you get people on board by telling them what they can't do anymore, right? And a lot of it was like, you know, you can't travel anymore. You can't use your car anymore. You need to only eat food from the 50 mile radius from your house. And the only way to really make a positive impact on the environment was to really have this perspective that you can't do a bunch of things. And so I think that was really unattractive to a lot of folks who might otherwise be interested in what they can do. But I think that was because I just didn't think that there was a lot of options for behavior change. We've just experienced this really intense amount of behavior change. And so maybe I think those things are more possible, but I do think that more of us will work from home more often. And so we were going to get those benefits of reduced transportation emissions, maybe not the same magnitude that we're experiencing right now. But I think those will continue going forward. I just think there's new ways for us to think about how we can help people work better and smarter. And maybe that will have continued impacts on emissions reductions just from our daily lives. But it now feels like you can frame it in a much more positive way instead of just telling people that the only thing they can do to help the environment is just not do anything they feel like doing. 
So I think the way we work will have an impact on this. I do think we have some opportunities to really think thoughtfully about how we restart the economy. It's going to be really important to make infrastructure investments, sort of standard FDR, works progress administration type stuff. That's how you jumpstart a major economy. And we have an opportunity to think about as companies with our state partners and maybe with the federal government, if they think about doing additional infrastructure packages this year to really invest wisely. And we can invest in the kind of infrastructure that leads to continued emissions reductions and cleaner air and creates jobs. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. We hope that you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights about the intersection of energy policy and COVID-19. To learn more about the electric industry's response to COVID-19, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.